says there in our text, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If ye have heard how that I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you, if ye love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto my Father. And this next phrase, I read that and stopped, for my Father is greater than I. Hmm. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so do I do. Even so I do. Arise. Let us go hence. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you bless your reading of your word to our hearts and minds. May we clear it of so many things going on in our lives this week. We've got things we have to do today, even perhaps. May our hearts be still. Be still and know that I am God. May that be our hearts cry today. As we look into this text and we see the events, when you, you give, you're going home, there should be a rejoicing on their part, rejoicing in our part even today that you have gone home to make intercession for us. You're at the right hand of the Father. You are once again all the glory you had when you left heaven. We praise you for who you are. We worship you this morning, Lord. I want you to know that we worship you. Forgive me of sin. Empty me of self and fill me with your spirit this morning, please. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The, the, the word home, I, I like that word home. I looked on the internet this week, and, and the most popular songs ever that have the word home in the title. John Denver, Take Me Home, Country Roads. There also, I never heard it, the Sweet Home Alabama was the second one, supposedly. At Christmas time, we might sing, I'll be home for Christmas. Christ, uh, uh, regarding the uh, hymns, uh, I like Welcome Home Children. You may have never heard that. It's a beautiful choir piece. I'd like to get that for the choir. Uh, Heaven's My Home, Brother Fox wrote. And then Don Wirtson's probably his best-known song is Finally Home. I love that piece, Finally Home. Anton Dvorak wrote uh, the New World Symphony, number nine. You should listen to it if you want a peaceful moment. Number two is called, it's called Going Home. It's, it's a beautiful piece. It's going home, going home. We are going home. And that's, that's with that. So going home is a theme of different things. Christ is going home to the Father, and he doesn't want his disciples to be overly worried. There's going to be worried, but peace I leave with you. We need peace. From the book called Your Winner, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown and Linus are looking very serious, and Violet says to them, what are you two standing here looking so worried about? And Charlie Brown replies, we're afraid of the future. She asks, are you worried about anything in particular? Charlie says, oh no, we're worried about everything. And Linus says, yes, our worrying is very broad-minded. And we are in a very broad-minded, worrying type of uh, world today, with good reason in some regards. Uh, we were worried about the balloon over China, what uh, came over from China. I don't know all the details, but I know it's, I think it got shot down. Woohoo! there we go. We got that one down. There was a news report back in 2015 in, the middle of, uh, in San Francisco about a middle school that requires 30 minutes of transcendental meditation. This is 2015. And they have found that if they do the transcendental meditation where they're squatting and doing, they're crossing their legs. And well, can I just say that yoga is, is Hinduism? There are some churches today that have yoga in their church. No, we're never going to have yoga. Now, if you want to do yoga, it's your business. But we're not doing the church because that is bringing in the Eastern mysticism to the church. Now, oh, but it, 
you exercise, how you, it's your business how you exercise. Can I just tell you that yoga, the principles of yoga, and when you close out and you open yourself and clear your mind of everything else, someone, if you're not a Christian, beware, because there's going to be a spirit wants to come in. We know as Christians we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so when a Holy Spirit's in, others cannot come in. We understand that. But just be, be careful. Anyway, the school's practicing that. And the, the author says, so we can't pray or read the Bible in public school, but it's mandatory to practice Hinduism. Matter of fact, it said in 2015, Parade Magazine said meditation is the number one health booster. It is said that politicians, children, celebrities are all doing it. Shouldn't you? Others seek peace through exercise, counseling, false religions, prescription drugs, illegal drugs, alcohol, or other means. But I tell you, the world's peace does not cut it. It is the peace that passes understanding comes only from God for peace. First of all, we see his peace. In 27, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard in 28 how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. P was leaving with them, not only the comforter, but the peace that passeth understanding. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Peace I leave with you. The storms are going to come. We know that. Some of you have been through a storm this week. You're going to have a storm this coming week. You may not know about it yet, but you likely may very possibly. That's just part of life. Remember, afflictions are not the abnormal. The afflictions are the normal in this life. The troubles, are, matter of fact, Job says it so succinctly, it's as man was born for trouble, as sparks fly upward. And so that is, in this life, we're going we're going to have difficulties. We know that. That's just part of what it is. But Christ wants us to have the peace of God. Peace with God as, as a child of God. Peace of, and peace of God as he rules our hearts. There was two painters were asked to, to paint their picture of, of what they thought peace was. So one picked a little serene, I'd love the fish in it, a little serene, quiet lake nestled among the mountains. The second painter, with broad strokes, pictured a huge thundering waterfall. And beneath the falls, there was a little fragile birch tree that was bent over with the foam. And on that little birch tree was a, sat a robin on her nest right under the falls. And first one is stagnation and inactivity. That's the first picture. The second picture is rest. Even amidst a thundering waterfall, she could sit on that little, little branch, and even though her fur, or her feathers were wet, thinking of cats, her feathers were wet, she could be have at peace. Outward, Christ has endured the turmoils. Can you imagine how much Jesus went through? We just have four Gospels Matter of fact, John said the world could not contain the books if they wrote all that Jesus did. Can you imagine if we had, I hope and maybe in heaven, that they will have a succinct day by day, three and a half year ministry of Jesus and see all that he did. Wouldn't that be amazing to read all that Jesus did while here on earth? That would be glory. Yes, that would be what it would be. But he's gone through this troublesome time. Matter of fact, he's in the Passion Week. He's just, matter of fact, this very night at the end of John chapter 17 and going into 18, he's going to Gethsemane. He's going to the Pilate's Hall. He's going to Calvary. That's what looms in front of him. And yet he says to his disciples, peace, I'll leave with you. What an amazing God we have. I cannot say enough about Jesus and what a wonderful God he is. He is. He is. I remember reading one that Adrian Rogers, I've mentioned it before. He said, if I had to do my ministry over, I would preach more about Jesus. I had to do over. That's why we've gone through, we're on our third gospel. 
Because I want you to know who Jesus, and I want the world to know who Jesus really is. People typically don't want to know. Why? Because they might be beholding or indebted to someone who not only created them, died for them. That's why the world does not want Jesus. Regarding rest, Henry Drummond, the author of The Greatest Thing in the World Regarding Love, he said, Rest is not some holy feeling that comes upon us in church. It is a state of calm rising from a heart deeply and firmly established in God. Now that's the peace. That's how George Mueller could survive. The stress of George Mueller providing for his orphanages with nothing the night before and praying food in over and over and over and over again the very day he needed it for his children. If we don't have our, our, our food planned ahead or enough food in the house for a month, we pray, well, we're, we're, we're woefully short or something. Jesus didn't pray, give us this day, give us this month our daily bread. He didn't say that. He wants us to rely upon him. I know you're relying upon him for what he gives us. But maybe we need to rely upon him more. First of all, his peace. Secondly, his perspective in 28. He, if you love me. Now, that expression is not to be construed that they did not love him at all. It's that they had a low view of the Messiah, what he was doing. If you loved me, they did not know exactly. They did not believe in uh, his entire plan, if you remember. A a sort of a, a tender reproof of a friend, meaning that you should have a deeper love than you do. If ye loved me, he says unto them, if you loved me. You would have followed, etc. If you love me, ye would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father. If you really truly understood what all I am doing and you knew and you understood that I'm going to the Father and I'm going to complete salvation's plan and I who have had glory in the past and have laid it aside now will be glorified again in heaven, you would rejoice. And we should rejoice that Jesus has all the way to Calvary, and he's at the Father's right hand. He's making intercession for us. We should be extremely glad that he did not have to languish here any longer on the earth, that he fulfilled it up from the grave here, rose. I tell you, talking with Tom on Friday at the work, he said, without the resurrection, we don't, I said, without the resurrection, we might, we're of all men most miserable. We're, done, we're lost and undone. He said, the resurrection is the key. I said, it is. It's the keystone of our relief. Because he raised, we too will then one day be raised. To God be the glory. Then he says toward the end of 28, he says, for my father is greater than I. Now, I paused when I read that. I said, now, how am I going to explain that to the church? Well, we're going to just hang in there and put your thinking cap on. Now we know, remember one of the principles of Scripture is you let the clear help you to understand the not quite as clear. So what we know is that Jesus is God. We know that from Scripture it's clear. So what he cannot be saying that he's less than the Father in that regard. So with that in mind, now we know the Trinity, the Godhead, same word, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one God. Elohim, a uniplural noun, one but more than one. We understand that. There, but there's no, there's order, but there's no rivalry. There's position, but no superiority or inferiority. 
My father is greater than I. He's stating a fact having to do with relationship within the Godhead. Now, finite beings, we struggle with comprehending this. The Trinity, you'll never comprehend it thoroughly because you have an infinite God and your mind, as sharp as it may be, cannot go with an infinite God. Okay? I think I'm losing, I'm, I'm, I've not lost my mind, but I'm losing some of my brain cells, I think, a year by year. Or maybe it's moment by moment or day by day. But God is infinite. There's nothing he does not know. But we can try our best to understand. So when he was here on earth, Jesus was sent by the Father, as you well know. He did everything in a prearranged plan. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross in Philippians chapter 2. He voluntarily laid aside the independent exercise of his divine attributes, sort of, if you want to think of it, he let his hands tied behind his back regarding the independent exercise of his divine attributes. He did not lose those. He still was God. But he put himself under the Father's leadership completely. He, was, he humbled himself Amazing. Subordinated himself to the Father. He never ceased to be less than God. That's a cardinal doctrine. I said, Tom, I said, you have, the people have got to believe that Jesus is God. If they don't believe Jesus is God, you cannot be saved. If you don't believe that he did raise from the dead, you cannot be saved. That's just, that's a cardinal thing we cannot waffle on. The Father is greater than I, he says, not because the Father is more God than he was, but because as man he had assumed a position of dependence on the Father. Jesus had come to the earth not to behave as God, although he was God. He behaved as man because he was man. Albert Barnes in his commentary says, The object of Jesus here is not to compare his nature with that of the Father, but his condition. He would rejoice that I am to leave this state of suffering Ye would, he said, rejoice that I am to leave the state of suffering and humiliation and resume the glory which I had with the Father before the world was. You should rejoice. I'm going back to the Father. And because he does, it is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There'll be no more war. It is finished. There's some different songs with that mindset. But that is it. When Christ died, the veil was rent, and he finished the course. The Father raised him from the dead. And because of that, we have everlasting life. That, that's, the only, that's the only message I can give you this morning that has true hope. And it has a wonderful hope. Not just a, I don't, I'm wondering. It's a hope, that, uh, the confident expectation and assurance. Now, Jehovah's false witnesses argue that this statement, when he says that he is less than his father, is that they say that he was proof that he was not God. But the reasoning is faulty. Do you remember John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, not was a God, the Word was God. In John 5.18, the Jews accused Jesus of making himself equal with God. He didn't back off or correct them. In John 5.8.58, the response of the hostile text of the Jews, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. John 10.30, I and my Father are one. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because they knew exactly what he was saying, who he was, who he was. And John 14, 9, same chapter. I have I been so long with you, and yet thou knowest not me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou that showest the Father? 
Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus did not rebuke him for some kind of blasphemy. He, he received the worship and commended his faith. My Father is greater than I. We must interpret that in light of what we already know. Jesus is God. So what is he saying during this time of humiliation on earth? And by the way, it was a humiliation. Can you think that? Think for just a moment. Put yourself in God's shoes. If you would, uh, uh, they didn't have shoes, but... And you are living in perfect glory and you are all powerful. And yet you willingly was placed into the womb of a human being. And you were, I mean, small, the thumbnail size, I don't know how small it was to start. And then you grew and then you had to, you had to live life on this earth as a human being. You who made us. And yet you did that. And matter of fact... Not only did you not receive glory, you were treated terribly. You were killed. And now, for eternity, you are no longer the spirit form that you were in eternity past. You have been, I'm going to use respect, saddled with a body. And for eternity, we're going to worship Jesus, who now we can see. And he did that for you and me. And that is as amazing. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, just die for me? Amazing. And so while he was doing that, he laid aside the independent exercise of those divine attributes, being obedient to the Father. And that's how he could say, my Father's greater than I right now because I have laid aside those attributes for a time. Thomas Constable says it should be obvious by now that Jesus did not mean that he was less than God or inferior, an inferior God when he said that God was greater than he. The Arians, which was Arius back in the 3rd and 4th century, said he was like God but not God. A little jingle he made up. Uh, and so that was, that was a, obviously a heretical mindset. The Bible's abundantly clear. Rather, he was speaking of the glory, Father's glory, Jesus had laid aside the heavenly glory at the incarnation, but the Father had not done so, and consequently, his glory was greater than the Son. Now, a couple of times it peeked through, especially on Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory peeked through a little bit. Can you imagine? I've always thought this, if you poke the, poke the hole in his finger or something, the, the glory would just like, and so it keeps that glory under wraps for 33, 33 and a half years. I can tell you now, though, he's glorified in heaven, and so will he be, and rightly so, for eternity. He was not, he was just, not just God, but he was man. He was not just man, but he was God. He was not half man and half God. That would be a demigod, we call it today. He was 100% man, 100% God. He was manifest in the flesh, a mysterious, perfect blending in one person, the history, if you read a history of the church, you find there's been struggles with that. How does that work? We can't understand it completely, but I can tell you the Bible is clear. He's completely man, completely God at the same time. Hypostatic union. He's speaking to these words in the upper room. He's preparing to go back to the Father by way of crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. He's about to go back to glory. Listen, if you knew that I'm going home, you should rejoice with me. Rejoice. Rejoice. He's going home. That's why I often will call it for a believer. Mr. Miller is about to get his home going. 
because he's, and that's what it's going to be, by the way. I'm looking forward to my home going. My mom, dad's had it. My mother-in-law, father-in-law have had it. Someday I will give my home going. Someday you as your child of God will as well. If you love me, you would rejoice because I say I go to my father. My father is greater than I. What a glimpse into Christ's understanding. He invites them to rise above what his departure is going to mean to them and consider what it will mean to him. Their love for Jesus should allow them to be happy for him. He's going away since the journey, albeit through the horrors of the cross, will take him again to the intimacy of the Father's bosom. They should rejoice. Oh, Lord, you're going back to your Father. We are so happy for you. That would have been the response. You should rejoice. I'm telling you, we waited in line for quite a while on Friday evening to, see, to say our condolences to Mr. and Mrs. Staker, Dr. And Mrs. Staker. What Marty is holding on to is that Michael knew Christ as Savior, gotten right with the Lord, and someday he will see his 34-year-old son who passed away very unexpectedly. He'll see him again. I'll see you again. I'll see you. There's a long like that. I'll see you again, and we will. Or holding on, my wife's mother died when, when she long uh, 30 years ago. It was a long time. We just had just come to Berean. It was like 1992, February 92, her mother died. Missed a lot of that time. We missed, and she wanted to call on her mother many times for different things. But someday she'll see her again. All because of God's grace. And someday the disciples would understand after Christ is gone, the Comforter has come, and the Pentecost has come, and they will understand the purpose of all these things. Why has this happened, Pastor Tim? Why do all these things happen? God has a purpose in our lives. He does not want you necessarily healthy. He does not want you happy necessarily. He wants you happy. But what he wants you most of all is holy. That we, someone said yesterday to me, that we would be like his son. (laughs) That's exactly it. He wants us, like his son, to live like his son. Thirdly, not only peace and perspective is prediction. I don't have a crock pot on today, so I can go for a long time. Just teasing, just teasing. His prediction in 29, and now I have told you before it came to pass that when it has come to pass, you might believe There's going to be a catastrophic upheaval in the lives of the disciples. And when they look back, oh, that's why he said that. We were coming up the road this morning and a person flashed, just to start up to it, a person flashed their lights on and off and I didn't know what it was. And I I think it was the deer in the road. I think just right up around the corner where they did that work on this hill. There's a little corner there and there's a field over here and there's a deer. that must have been deer in the middle of the road. It's all I can figure because there was no crash. Unless he was signaling me because of a really slow truck coming up. I don't know. I don't think that was it. I think it was the deer in the road. And oh, now I know why they did that. And this is going to be for the disciples. Oh, now I know. It all fits together. We have the, we have the blessing of 2,000 years of history and understanding. We know why he did these things. They were living it real time. Why do you do that? Why do that? So they're going to know. They're going to rejoice. And there's also the devil in 40, not only his prediction to doubt the devil. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now just think for a moment. We are on the night when he is betrayed. Perhaps the devil has already got Judas' woeful soul connected with the people who are going to come to the garden. And perhaps they are already coming. The prince of of this world cometh. It could be that. It could be far deeper than that. But perhaps he understood and knew that the the group was already organizing. 
to come to get him out of the garden. I'm not sure how, but the, the prince of the world is coming. That's one of Satan's titles. This kingdom of this world are his now, but they will become the kingdoms of the Christ, as George Frederick Handel really succinctly, musically took scripture and put it together. Satan did not know, but his own downfall and doom were at the cross he's so busily preparing for the Lord. Oh, I'm going to get... And remember, I tell you, if you want one way to know the Bible's true, the Jewish people. God has preserved the Jewish people. You want to know, is the Bible true? Is God real? Yes. Look at, read the Jewish history. Say, oh, I'm going to finally, we're going to get them. Jesus on the cross, I will win. Actually, he loses. Crush the serpent's head. Bruise his heel. The seed will crush his head. And aren't you glad for that? Satan, he's got prepared. He's got, matter of fact, he's got his men lined up. Judas and the mob, Sanhedrin and the priests, the Pharisees and the scribes, Herod and the men of war, Pilate and the cohort, the soldiers ready. He's got everything ready to go. And his plan is going to, matter of fact, he thinks it's gone to fruition and Christ is on the cross by 9 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. I've won. The Long War Against God. Henry Morris, you should read that. It's a good book. But he's just loose. As a matter of fact, he was wrong. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of the world cometh. Don't you love this last phrase? Nothing in me. There is in me no principle nor feeling that accords with his. There's absolutely nothing. Therefore, there's nothing by which he can prevail. If you had water that had no particles of metal in it, you could put your hand in the water with electricity and be okay. You get electrified. I have in our one remaining aquarium, we have a heater in there. And I'm always hesitant because it's electric. And you have to put your hand, I did it this morning because it was 84.2 degrees, a little bit higher for the fish. It's got to be like 82. Put my hand in there and twist it around to get it a little bit cooler. But I'm always hesitant to put my hand in water that has something electric in it. But back to my topic at hand, if you are water and you have nothing in it, no foreign substance, you won't get electrified. Because see, it's, it's those particles inside the water that attract electricity. That's why, that's why you're going to get that, most likely, if most, most water is not pure enough. The pure truth is this. There was nothing in Jesus at all that would attract sin. or He, could, he is impeccable. The impeccability of Christ. Impeccable. He cannot sin, could not sin. He did not have it in him to sin. But pastor, I think, I've been studying something and there's, the, there's this the peccability of Christ, the impeccability that Christ, well, he really could have sinned. There was, listen, you're going to get on the wrong path with that. He's impeccable. Could not have sinned. The Mormons, of all things, because God and Jesus is not God, he's the first created being, so it ends up, if, if Christ is a spirit being, Satan's a spirit being, so they are brothers to the Mormons. Brothers, spirit beings. Now, if you ever think in camp out, listen to the wordsmith of this short definition. I like it, though. Temptation has only power because there are some principles in us which accord with the designs of the tempter and which may be excited by presenting corresponding objects until our virtue is overcome. Where there is no such propensity, 
Temptation has no power. There's no propensity in our Savior. He did not, could not, was not going to, never has, never will sin. That's our Savior. Not of this world. He's not part of the, Satan was, Satan was in given this control of the world, but someday he'll be taken back. The temptation comes. Satan departs. He uses the word of God. Father, not my hand, not my will, but thine be done in the garden of Gethsemane. And Christ successfully does what the Father has asked. And finally, his purpose, testimony to the world, but that the world may know that I love the Father. Two purposes, testimony to the world. Then the world would know that how great was the love he had for the Father. He was obedient even unto death. Our view of Christ's death is the subject of so many of our hymns, and rightly so. It's centered on his love for us. He loved me and gave himself for me. And how should I respond? But but we find that we, we look at Calvary, we see the sin offering, the cross wrought for us. Jesus looks at the cross and see the burnt offering that was wrought for the Father. You see the difference? We, he looks at the cross. I'm successfully completing, dying for the mankind, yes, but I'm successfully completing what my Father wants. We look to the cross and say, praise the Lord, Jesus died for me. There's two different views there, if you would. Both are absolutely accurate. It's your point and the reference there. So a testimony to the world, a tribute to the word. As the Father gave me commandment. His unqualified, unquestioned obedience to God is a great example for us to follow. And there's also the teaching on the way. Arise. Let us go hence. It's kind of an abrupt talk. A different, again, a different thing. Remember they were reclining by the table. He gets up, arise, let us go hence. Now, if you're like most groups getting up from the table, they don't, oh, let's jump up, we're on our way. Okay, well, I guess we've got to get up now. And so we start gathering our stuff together. It's possible that 15, 16, and 17 are all in the upper room and then they leave. Or it's possible they leave now and he continues on speaking. But if you're walking in single file, it's going to be hard for number 11 to hear what Jesus says over here. Unless perhaps he's in the middle. Either way you want to look at it. One man says, he could have said, get up, let's run for our lives. No, no, because he was going to do what the Father wants. Let us wait. Let us do. As was sent to me this week, the world is changed by our example, not your opinion. The world is changed by your example, not your opinion. He was the quintessential example of obedience. Obedience motivated by love gives Jesus a warm blanket of peace, if you would, in the midst of the chilling storm. Someone said anxiety has been described as a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Anxiety. That's not, let us rejoice. If you're a, a believer, let us rejoice in what Christ has done for us. If you're a carnal Christian and you're sort of trying to keep your foot in the world and trying to keep the other foot in Christianity, it does not work that way. They almost always fall off on the world side. Repent of that. Genuine repentance is seen in your actions. If you're genuinely repentant, we don't have to beg you to do right. You want to do right. If I had hurt my mom and dad, they'd have to, I, I repented, I wanted to get that right. When the, the prodigal son came to himself and said, I'm going home. I'm going to confess my sin. And here comes the father. Woo, yes. 
And you know, by the way, he had to serve as his brother's worker for the rest of his life. But he did it because he repented. You can, make, you can choose your sins, but you cannot choose the consequences of those sins. Repentance doesn't make everything back to where it was. It means you've gotten right with God. So this morning, let us rejoice that he went to the cross for us. And if you're here without Christ, I can, as I do every Sunday typically, please come to him and receive him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us and care for us. Thank you for the words of this text this morning. Yes, you're leaving peace, and you're giving us the peace, and we thank you for that peace that comes that passes understanding. But Lord, if you be one person listening via live stream later on, all podcasts, or even this morning in our congregation, I pray, and they do not know your Savior, I pray that you work in their hearts and lives. May we as your children, may we following you this week, if we've allowed things, worldly things, to come into our lives, may we confess and forsake those and, and get right with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.